You're listening to the Southwide Baptist Church Podcast with Pastor Jeremy Lewis. At Southwide Baptist Church, our mission is to boldly proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ and thereby lead people to worship God authentically, connect in biblical community, grow in Christian maturity, and multiply disciples and churches both locally and globally. For more information about our church, please visit www.southwidebaptist.com. Now let's join Pastor Jeremy for today's message. God's Word, let me invite you to turn with me to Acts chapter 3. Acts chapter 3, as we are walking through uh, the very first few days and months and the early life, really, of uh, the New Testament church or the early church as we have, um, as we have titled it. So Acts at the beginning gives us those very first days of what it looked like in the life of the body of Christ and what God has called us to, to live out together. And to be honest, much like the time that we are in now, uh, the days of the early church were, uh, some time of trying to figure out what life as the church was going to look like. Um, it wasn't clear to them. They didn't have years and years of church tradition to be able to look at and say, this is what church should look like. And at the same time, it was a very healthy place for them to be because they didn't have all of the years of structure. All they had was the instruction of Jesus and the leadership of the Holy Spirit. And they had to figure out how uh, life was to look for the early church and what the mission was to look like. Now, of course, there was a lot of things that they had to learn, and we have uh, valuable lessons from church history that we can learn from in how we are to live out this mission that Christ has called us to. And yet, I, I think that it's important for us to at least acknowledge that as we go back to the early church, it's helpful for us to see some of those very basic things in our life that should be there, that were there and present in the early church. And as we reevaluate what our mission is together as a people, thinking about rediscovering this mission as Southwide Baptist Church, it is certainly important for us to see those things and understand how they relate to uh, our lives as God's people. So we've looked at three things so far, and I, I want to not miss these basic building blocks. So just want to remind you each and every week, if you're listening online, uh, you would have followed with us. And so let me just remind you of these different things that we're called to. First of all, we're called to depend upon God's spirit. At times like this, when all you have is a Bible and Jesus, the only thing you can do is depend upon God's spirit, because the truth is, the Bible doesn't give us instructions on in how to do church during a coronavirus or anything else that, that may come our way uh, in these modern times. We have to take the Bible and ask for the Lord's wisdom in using those things uh, that he gives us in his word and apply that. But the only way we can do it is if we rely upon, we depend upon the Holy Spirit. Amen. Y'all with me this morning? Dependence upon his spirit. Then Jesus as our message. And I shared with you a couple of weeks ago. I'm encouraged that the gospel of Christ is made ultimate in all of our online activity now. All of our churches are focusing so much on what is the main thing and abandoning all of these self-help kind of messages and directions. Because at the end of the day, the most important thing in our lives is that we know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of our lives. 
And out of the overflow of that comes instruction on how to live as husbands and wives and children and employers and employees and all of these things. We get all of this instruction, but it has its root in the gospel, in the message of Christ. And may we never forget that that is our message. We don't have any of those other messages. We have one message, and it is Jesus. And third, biblical community. We looked at this last week, appropriately so, because last week was our first regathering. And we're not up to speed yet. We don't have all of our people back. Some of you are still online. And yet there is a need for us to understand that the church must have biblical community. We see that right there in the heart of Acts chapter 2. We see it again in Acts chapter 4 and other places. This continual emphasis on biblical community. Taking the Bible and living it out together, quite simply. Well, what else does the early church teach us about following Jesus as the church? The fourth component, the fourth building block or characteristic of the New Testament church was a ministry of healing. A ministry of healing. So if you found your place, let me invite you to stand with me in honor of the reading of God's word. If you are there in your living rooms, we would encourage you to do the same or gather together with your family as we continue to worship the Lord together through the reading of his word. Acts chapter three, begin with me in verse one. Now, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate to ask alms of those who entered uh, of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he that is the beggar asked to receive alms and Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong and leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people. Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. To this, we are witnesses and his name by faith in his name. 
has made this man strong whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. Lord, we thank you for your word this morning. We ask now that you, Holy Spirit, would be our teacher. We praise you this morning that we don't have to depend upon our own understanding when it comes to your word, but that Holy Spirit, you come and you teach us not only what is to be plainly obvious, but even the deep things of God you reveal to us by your spirit. God, we thank you for that and we pray for understanding and wisdom this morning. Lord, we pray that Jesus would be exalted and that at the end of our time together, Lord, when you call us to decision To obey your word, I pray that you would move hearts in this room and in living rooms and houses gathered all across this county and beyond. To obey you because you are worthy of our obedience. Jesus, if there is someone listening in this morning who does not know Christ, maybe in this room or on their own, Lord, I pray that you would call them to yourself. Convict them of their sin and their need for a savior. And today I pray that they would call upon the name of Christ and be saved. And we pray it in Jesus name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. And so this story is one of my favorite from the book of Acts. I love uh, walking through this passage. Um, It's kind of exciting to preach this particular passage and uh, it's only a handful of times that I've been able to preach this passage uh, in the course of my ministry. But each and every time I am just encouraged about who we are to be as the church. And so we see here in this passage just an incredible story. Peter and John are on their way to the temple to pray. And everything that and every day that they lived, this was an activity that they carried on. They continued to go to the temple to pray day after day after day. We read that just a couple of uh, verses back last week in dealing with biblical community. Uh, we saw that this was a daily occurrence for them. They went every day to pray because they valued that time together as God's people. And they would go together. This time, when they come to the temple to pray, they encounter this beggar, a beggar who is there being carried every day and placed by the gate called beautiful. He could not even get himself to the gate. He had to be carried by friends and family every day. And he came to this gate and he was completely helpless. No ability to provide for himself, no ability to meet his needs, no ability to do anything about his own condition. And carried there every day. The Bible tells us that he was lame from birth. The story of this man is that he would come and he would simply beg for money. Because it's the only thing that he could do to survive. And calloused to both his physical need. More importantly his spiritual need. He would sit it seems with his head bowed. Even as he didn't look at Peter and John. Maybe in shame, maybe in guilt, maybe in demoralization, but either way, he would sit there every single day. At that gate called Beautiful, people would pass him by as they went into the temple and offer him maybe a a single piece of money or two, but no real help as he sat there alone. 
And the story goes that when Peter and John came to the gate called Beautiful, they saw him and they had compassion upon him, much like Jesus had compassion upon the crowds. And they called on him to rise and walk in the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And he was healed. Look at it here in your Bible. Verse six, Peter says, I have no silver. I have no gold. But what I do have, I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. And we know that he did. Verse eight, it says, leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. It's not as if he just simply had a moment where he all of a sudden could return to walk again. He was running and leaping and shouting and praising the Lord. He was completely healed. Verse 16 tells us that and in his, uh, in his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given this man perfect Health in the presence of you all completely healed. It's interesting if you look at this as not just a single story, but the sequel to the first story. If you take your Bible and you go back to Luke and you might do this this morning, turn back with me to Luke chapter four. You're going to see the same kind of picture at the beginning of Jesus ministry. This is, of course, in Acts, the beginning of the church's ministry. But notice at the very beginning of Jesus ministry, just after he went out of the wilderness, tempted by Satan, he begins his earthly ministry. And the very first thing that he does is he goes not to the temple, but to the synagogue. He goes to to be there to worship. And he actually ends up reading from preaching from the Bible. So this is Luke chapter four and verse 18 uh, or actually begin with me in verse 14. Let's start there. Jesus returned in the power of the spirit. Super important. Do you see the parallel there between Acts chapter two and Luke chapter four? They're filled with the spirit. So Jesus here filled with the spirit. Uh, he goes in the power of the spirit to Galilee and re- and a report about him went all throughout the surrounding country. It's a similar picture to Pentecost when they heard and he he taught in their synagogues being glorified by all. And what is it that he taught? Jump down to verse 18. He reads from the Old Testament. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. And what does he say he's going to do based on this Old Testament passage? Because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind and to set at liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolls up the scroll, the Bible tells us, and he says, this is now fulfilled in your hearing. In other words, I'm the one who's come to do this. This is uh, this is the promise that was made about me. And the Bible tells us that they were so angry, they ran him out of the synagogue. And as soon as he left the synagogue, notice what he does. He goes to this one who is with a demon in the city of Galilee, verse 31 and following. You can read it on your own, but he calls out this unclean demon. And then even as he continues that ministry there, he continues to heal at Capernaum, city, a city of Galilee. Verse 31 tells us that he continues to heal. And then at Simon's house in verse 40, when the sun was setting, all those who had uh, all of those who had any who were sick with various diseases 
brought them to him and laid and he laid his hands on every one of them and he healed them. Very first thing that Jesus does is he preaches a spirit filled sermon. And then he begins a ministry of healing. I want to just pause here in this moment and, and I want you to hear this very clearly. Jesus has come to set the captive at liberty. Jesus has come to bring healing to those who are sick. And the greatest sickness that any one of us has is a spiritual sickness called sin. And Jesus has made a way of salvation. He has come to bring spiritual healing to anyone who would call upon his name in faith. And that is, that is the story of Christ. But it's not just the story of Jesus. Watch this now. It becomes the story of the church. And so in the same pattern as Luke chapter four, what you see is Jesus ministry actually continues in the first part of Acts. It continues through the church. So what happens? Peter rises, right? Preaches a spirit filled sermon. People are saved and immediately the very next part of of Acts shows us a ministry of healing. In the same way that Jesus' ministry of healing began in the Gospels, the church now has a ministry of healing. And the major thrust for the church was a ministry of spiritual healing. Now, we see various physical healings in Acts chapter 2 and following. We see, or Acts chapter 3 following. We see several times, but the ministry of the church was one of spiritual healing. And that spiritual healing had two primary purposes in the life of the church or the physical healings, rather, had two primary purposes. One is to confirm the authority of the apostles. So as the apostles were preaching the word to confirm that they, in fact, were preaching a word from Christ, they did these miracles. But even beyond that, there was a need to continue the ministry of Christ. A sign that Jesus was still in the church and he was still working. And so what about today? You might ask, if the church is to have a ministry of healing, what does that look like today? Well, the authority of the apostles has already been confirmed. The the healing ministry, these miracles that happened That has already been confirmed and the authority of God is fully vested in the word of God. We have this book that is the authority of God in our lives. There is no need. Listen to me carefully. There is no need to do any kind of a physical miracle in order to validate the the authority of the preached word of God. This book has authority, all authority. Amen. And so that purpose is kind of passed by us. And yet the other purpose continues, and that is to continue the work of Jesus in the church. But you see, even in Jesus healing ministry, the ultimate Need The ultimate thing that happened in all of those events was not the physical healing, but ultimately the spiritual healing. Do you remember the story of the one who was let down through the roof? 
Jesus was there teaching in a home and this man came with his friends and the friends could not even get him into the house. They couldn't even get beyond the door. And so do you remember what they did? They cut a hole in the roof and let him down through the roof. And they had come to Jesus. Why? That the friend might receive physical healing. And they had heard about Jesus, the healer. But what did Jesus do immediately? Jesus didn't say to the man immediately, rise and walk. Jesus said to the man immediately, your sins are forgiven you. And then it actually goes on to tell us that because the crowds didn't believe that he had the authority to forgive sins, then he went on to heal the man. The physical healing actually served the spiritual healing. The same thing is true in all of Jesus' miracles. The physical miracle was not an end in and of itself, but rather it was that spiritual healing that Jesus was bringing. And so in light of those things, continuing the ministry of Jesus, confirming the authority of the word and what it calls us to, and this spiritual healing that was taking place in the New Testament, I believe that there is a very, very clear call on the life of the church. And it's this. The church must be a place of healing for the spiritually ill as they come to know Jesus. The church must be a place of healing for the spiritually ill as they come to know Jesus. The person of Christ that we just sang about, the, the presence and power of Christ at, life, at work in the life of the church through his Holy Spirit, As we proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ, there should be a certain sense in which this body becomes a a shelter, a refuge, a gathering place where people, as they believe in Jesus, as they give their life to Christ, experience real, tangible, spiritual healing in their lives and maybe even sometimes physical healing. This ought to be that kind of a place. And by the way, what a time to hear that, right? What a time that is to encourage us as a people. The reality that that, yes, we get to experience this spiritual healing and the reality that even if we get coronavirus or anything else, even if the economy totally collapses, the reality, the reality that we all will be healed ultimately in Christ Because we're experiencing a deeper, far more full spiritual healing that comes through Christ. Despite all of the confusion, despite all of the illness that we face, we have a illness of far greater complexity called the human condition. The sin sickness. And that's what we need healing from. That's what we need healing from. And what a time for the church to be the church. Why would we be anything other than this? It's a good question, isn't it? Isn't it? Why would we be anything other than a place of healing? Seems like a strange thing to even have to say. You would think that the church, the people of God, would be the place where people would find healing. But sadly, there are many times, and I want to just I want us all to just confess this together. There are many times that the church actually is quite the opposite. Rather than a place of healing, 
the church actually becomes a place of damage, destruction, a place of breaking one another down. Far too often the church, in terms of this sin sickness, is more concerned about giving the diagnosis than we are about providing the cure. Far too often we are more guilty of sending people away with deeper wounds than what they came to us with. We see the lame beggar at the gate called beautiful. We, we see that person who's broken or sick around us and we pass him by and ignore that he even exists. Or worse, we scoff at him. And then, as a result, we, we actually look more like the Pharisees who are parading into the temple than we do the church who is trying to help the man. We can't walk past the spiritual beggars in our lives who are bankrupt and without Jesus and do nothing. Listen to me carefully. We can't Parade in the temple as we ignore those who need Jesus and proceed about our religious routine all the while thinking that we're pleasing God. The reality of our lives is that we are the church and we have been given the greatest news in all the world, the only healing news in all the world. And if we don't spread that message, the guilt is on us. We all have beggars in our lives. And I don't mean those who are in need of money. I'm describing people who are spiritually bankrupt. There are spiritually broken people outside of our gate. Outside of our entrance. Our community. Our neighbors. Some of you in this room, some of you that are listening, your family members, and no doubt there are people listening right now or who will be listening to this later on this afternoon or this week who do not know Christ. And I, I, I want you to hear this. We are not going to ignore you because we have the greatest news anyone could ever know. Amen, church. The gospel of Christ. And there's healing and life in Jesus' name. If you would but put your faith and trust in Jesus, you'll be saved. You'll be saved. And we're going to proclaim that message from the highest place that we can because we believe the only hope you have and the only hope we have is Jesus Christ. So maybe that means physical healing in your life. I, that's up to the Lord. James chapter 5 calls us to pray for one another Gives us very clear instructions about how we're to pray for one another. And, and God answers prayer. Amen. God heals through prayer, but he doesn't always. He doesn't always choose to, to heal. He always answers, but he doesn't always choose to heal. But more importantly, there is spiritual healing available. And we want to be the kind of people that provide that spiritual healing in Christ. So the question that remains for us as the church is this. If we want to be that kind of a place, what must be true in our lives as the church in order for us to be a place of healing? What do we have to do? What is what does our life have to look like? You at home, what does our life have to look like in order for us to be this place where people find Jesus and are healed spiritually? I, I want to be that, don't you? So how do we do it? 
Well, there are four characteristics, four things that must be true as we see it here in the life of Peter and John. There are four things that must be true in our lives in order for us to be a place of healing. And I want you to note these very carefully, because if any one of them are missing, we will miss the mark. Any one of them. So notice them beginning number one. We must be devoted to spiritual discipline. We must be devoted to spiritual discipline. In the very first part of the story, where do we find Peter and John? They're not out looking for someone to tell about Jesus. It says that they're going to the temple at the hour of prayer. What are they going to do? They're going to pray. <laughs> and sure, they want to they want to share Jesus with people as they're there. And, and they know probably that there's a lot of people gathered there in the temple courts. And yet. This is something they did every day. If you go back to the to the end of chapter two, you see it. The early church, they went to the temple daily with one accord. This was a part of their daily life. They gave themselves to spiritual discipline and not just prayer. If you turn back and you look at the story, <coughs> you'll see that they devoted themselves to, to the teaching. So Bible study, fellowship, breaking of bread. We see that as the Lord's Supper. And, of course, to prayers, generosity, we see that in the passage. All of these spiritual disciplines in their life, they committed themselves to. And out of this, listen carefully, out of this regular pattern of spiritual discipline in their life, rose an opportunity for them to be like Jesus and to minister healing in Jesus' name. Out of the discipline. It sprang out of that devotion to Christ and out of that commitment to prayer. The ninth hour would have been three o'clock. It would have been when everyone was there to pray. And out of this gathering of prayer, listen, out of this gathering of prayer rose up an opportunity to proclaim the gospel. Oh, may this be true among us. Far too often, our idea of prayer is just praying for all of our woes, complaints and illnesses. And we should pray for those things. But what if out of our prayer gatherings as a church, what if rising up out of that was an opportunity for us to minister the gospel to someone and to give them healing in Jesus name? Along with that, I do think there was some intentionality among Peter and John. They were there. At the hour of prayer, they knew that was the main event of the day. There would be the largest crowds gathered. And so they came as a part of spiritual discipline. Oh, I want you to hear this. There is a marriage between worship and spiritual, rather worship and evangelism, spiritual discipline and, and, and disciple making. There's a marriage between those two things and they cannot be separated. The church's, I, the, the church's calling is to be both worshipers who would worship in spirit and in truth and to call out worshipers who would worship in spirit and in truth. And you cannot divorce the two. Christian, hear me. If your prayer life is cold, if your obedience to the word of God is cold, if your study of the word is not happening, if you're not gathering with God's people, you will be an ineffective witness for Christ. And if if you're not witnessing for Christ, then your worship and your prayer life and everything else will grow cold. You cannot divorce the two things. Worship and discipline or rather rather worship and, and evangelism. They're one in the same. So if we're going to be a people who 
are committed to evangelism, committed to, to giving the gospel to people who need it, to being a people of healing, then we must be also a people of spiritual discipline. Secondly, we must be sensitive to spiritual opportunity. We must be sensitive to spiritual opportunity. The question I would have, just as you approach this text, the question I would have is how many times had Peter and John come to the temple through the gate called beautiful and not seen the beggar? How many times? Maybe before they walk with Jesus? Obviously, from the crowd's response in the courtyard there in the temple, the, the beggar had been there for years. They had every opportunity to have seen this man because everyone in the temple knew this man. No doubt Peter and John knew this man. How many times had they just simply walked past him? But verse four says that when the beggar asked them for money, what did they do? Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them. Expecting to receive something from them. Oh, see the pain of this moment. The moment when Peter and John see with compassion this man who had no hope. The beggar himself didn't even look up at Peter and John initially. Perhaps he was in shame over his condition. Or something maybe he had done in his life. Beforehand, perhaps he was demoralized. It doesn't matter anymore. I don't have any reason to even live anymore. Just sit out here by this gate every day and beg for money. Really can't even use it because I can't do anything. Maybe even dehumanized. Maybe treated like an object outside that gate that didn't matter. The outcast of society. And Peter sees this man. And is moved with compassion. And he looks at this man and says, you look at me. I want to give you the best news in all the world. And suddenly in that moment, that man had a face. And that man had eyes. And that man had value. And Peter says to that man, let your value be found in Jesus Christ. Rise up and walk. Trust in him today. What a moment. Because Peter was sensitive to this man's need You matter to me. I'm willing to give of my time and this moment to you. Now Peter's different. He's born again, filled with the Holy Spirit, given new purpose in his life. And now his life's purpose is to see men like this beggar come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and find spiritual healing. Oh, how we must be sensitive to the spiritual opportunities around us. Far too often... We, we, I think, I, I believe, maybe even in good faith, we use the excuse that we're, we're waiting for God to bring us an opportunity. Here's the reality. Walk outside and they are everywhere. Spiritual opportunity is everywhere. We're not waiting on God to bring us an opportunity. We have to see the opportunities that God has already provided every day in our lives. And certainly there are better ones than others where we get to talk with people who are ready to receive Jesus. But at the end of the day, 
Opportunities are everywhere, every single day. We just have to see. The problem is that we have calloused hearts. We have busy lives, don't we? We have misplaced priorities. We misuse resources. And so we miss opportunities. But what if we slow down long enough, like in a coronavirus? <laughs> what if we were less busy and, and we put our priorities in the right place? What if, what if we saw our resources as not ours, but God's to use for His glory and we made the, the best use of everything we have for every opportunity we have for the gospel? How God might change our community. Beginning with one, the life of one spiritual beggar. Third, we not only need to be sensitive, but we need to be responsive to spiritual need. Be responsive to spiritual need. Peter said in verse 6, I have no silver or gold. That's what the beggar wanted. Not knowing that Peter had something far better to offer. What do I have? I have Jesus and I want you to know what I have in him. I give to you today. It's an active, it's an action. Rise up and walk. Immediately his feet were made strong. His ankles were made strong. Something I notice in the church is how often we talk about telling people about Jesus. How often we talk about evangelism. But how great a need there is for us to actually do evangelism. In fact, we are often guilty of meeting the physical needs, right? In the name of Jesus, meeting the physical needs of people, silver and gold, food. We have a, we have a ministry every week that gives away food to feed the hungry. We've done different mission trips as a church. We even did mission to Funiac and met all kind of needs across our city. We, we minister to our neighbors every day. And I think that we're guilty of actually not believing a social gospel, at least in our minds, but of living like all we have is a social gospel. We do something kind for someone and we call it the love of Jesus. But here's the reality. The love of God was demonstrated in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The best news is not a cold glass of water or a meal to eat. The best news is Christ. It's Christ. We have to act spiritually. We have to be faithful to this need. No matter how much physical help that we offer people, no matter how much physical help we give them, We fail when we fail to provide them spiritual help. We fail to provide healing in Jesus name. And so we must be responsive. We see that here when he continues verse eight and following. We see the same picture. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple. All of this is action oriented. The man was totally changed. It's an amazing thing. Totally healed. And so we must be responsive. Fourth and finally. We must be humble in spiritual effectiveness. We must be humble in spiritual effectiveness. So, yes, we have to see the opportunity. Yes, we have to be filled with God's spirit so that we see it. And we have to be disciplined in order to be filled with God's spirit. Yes, we have to do those things. And yes, we have to be responsive to the need. We have to act. 
But at the end of the day, I don't get the credit for what happens. At the end of the day, you don't get the credit for what happens. Southwide doesn't get the credit for what happens. No Christian gets the credit for what happens. Only God can get the credit for what God does. Amen. Verse 11. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people utterly astounded ran together to them in the portico. Just porch. Fancy word for porch. Some of you go home and sit on your portico so you can have lunch and enjoy the Anyway, portico, Solomon's portico and went. And when Peter saw it, he was he, he addressed the people, men of Israel. Why do you wonder at this? Because they're looking at Peter and John. Or why do you stare at us? As though by our own power or piety, we have made him walk. Hear this, church. God-centeredness is the new way of life for the believer. Anything, any kind of man-centered healing ministry is not of God. At the end of the day... God-centered healing ministry is the call of the church. Furthermore, any sense of man-centeredness in our lives or in our ministry, be it with healing or anything else, any sense of man-centeredness in our lives, our lives don't revolve around us. So man-centeredness must be put to death. I have been crucified with Christ. It's not I who live, but Christ who lives in me. God-centered living. The only thing we do is actually surrender in faith and God does everything else. Listen to the God-centeredness of the passage. Go on with me. Verse 13. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers. God's the one who glorified Jesus. Verse 15. The author of life, everything that is created, he authored it. When God raised Uh, Whom God raised from the dead. Jesus authored all of life and God raised him from the dead. That wasn't our doing. Verse 16. He sums it up in his name. Whose name? Jesus name. By faith in Jesus name. He has made this man strong whom you see and know. The faith that is through Jesus has given the man his perfect health. In the presence of you all. Everything here is of God. In fact, in this passage, even the faith, faith through Jesus, the whole reason that he has been healed spiritually, physically is not because of his own doing, but because of God's doing. And when healing does come, the church must remain humble and be reminded that our God has acted. And I don't know about you, but it is far greater When God gets the glory, I I just, I rejoice in that. Whenever we can go, look how great our God is. So the church, the church must be a place of healing for the spiritually ill as they come to Christ. And that means that we must be devoted to spiritual discipline. We must be sensitive to spiritual opportunities around us. We must be responsive to spiritual need. And we must be humble. In spiritual victories. But the careful reader. Will see this passage. And notice that Peter and John didn't stop with the beggar. In fact, notice with me there in verse 13. They're talking about the beggar and they immediately transition to the crowd. Jesus is the one they're talking about whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate. 
when he had decided to release him, you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life. Because of this man's testimony, Peter and John have an opportunity to call over 5,000 people. At least the Bible goes on to tell us over 5,000 people to come and believe upon Christ. And in that moment, their hearts are moved with conviction Because although they crucified Christ, the good news of the gospel is that there is forgiveness in Jesus for all who call upon the name of the Lord. Isn't that good news this morning? So so I want you to hear me. I want you to hear me. Every one of us find ourselves to be the beggar in the story. Spiritually. We are the ones who sit outside of the worship of a holy God. We are the ones who are bankrupt spiritually. We are the ones who have nothing to offer God. We are the ones who are helpless with with no ability To move ourselves from the position that we're in. We are the ones outside of the fellowship of God and not knowing God. And we are the ones who are shamed, demoralized and have absolutely nothing and no hope. And here's what happens in the gospel. Jesus says, I don't care what you've done. Jesus says, I don't need anything from you. Jesus said, I'm going to die for you in your place. And everything you've ever done will be forgiven. Anything that you could ever do, forgiven. And when all of those things are forgiven, not only am I going to forgive you of your sin because of my blood, I'm going to actually come and take up residence in your life and I'm going to enable you to now live the life that you could have never lived to begin with. That is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus died for you. He rose again. And now he says to every single one of us beggars, rise and walk in my name. And today you can have life. If you'll trust in Christ, all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Would you bow your heads in this room and all across our online campus? I would encourage you to bow your head there where you are in your living room, wherever you may be. And we want to call you to be saved this morning. It is a little bit unique in how we normally handle a time of response in our worship services. Generally, we would call you down front. We're going to do that in a moment. We're going to open this altar, give opportunity for you to come and to pray. At the same time, we're going to dismiss the rest of our folks here in the room. You online, we want to encourage you during this time when the music begins to play in a few moments. Uh, that you spend this time with the Lord. And maybe God has moved upon your heart today and you need to make a decision. Maybe you need to be more responsive and more sensitive, or maybe you need to be more focused on spiritual disciplines so that so that we as a people can be a healing people as we offer life in Christ. But maybe some of you who are listening in on this live stream or someone in this room, you don't know Jesus today. You're like that beggar and you need to know Christ today. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Just a few moments. We're going to dismiss this room and this altar is going to open. If you're here in this room this morning, I want to encourage you to come. I'll be here down front ready to receive you. Maybe you're online and you'd love to talk with someone. If you just uh, send a message directly to the church, we'll receive that. We'll reach out to you. But there's also a, a card that you can fill out online. 
That card can be found at mydecision.southwidebaptist.com. MyDecision.SouthwideBaptist.com And today, we're asking you to go fill out that card and indicate on that card what decision you want to make in following Jesus with your life. Maybe you, maybe you want to be a part of what God is doing here at Southwide. Maybe you just have a prayer request. We'd love for you to fill that out there. But today is the day to respond to the Lord. Don't wait. Don't wait till next week. Don't wait till the next live stream this afternoon. Trust in Christ today because He's calling you. He's calling you to salvation. If you'll come and trust in him today, I want to pray with you. And then just as soon as I pray, our music's going to begin. We'll dismiss the room today and then we will have a time of response. And we call you to trust in Christ today. Lord, we love you. and We praise you today for what you've done in this place. God, we thank you for your word and how it leads us to salvation. That faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. And we believe that this beggar, that we are like him and that we are in need of you. We know that. Completely spiritual bankrupt and we need you to call us to come repent and believe the gospel today and to be healed spiritually. And Lord, we trust you today with what you call us to. So I ask God that you would give courage, that you would give freedom, that you would move upon the hearts of people as they respond to your word in obedience today. And I ask it in Jesus name. Amen. So music begins to play. You begin to make your way to that card. These altars are open. We encourage you to come spend this time in prayer. Reach out to us via Facebook. And we'd love to share with you more about what the gospel means. God bless you. You've been listening to the Southwide Baptist Church Podcast with Pastor Jeremy Lewis. For more information about our church, please visit www.southwidebaptist.com. We also invite you to connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram by searching for Southwide BC. Thank you for listening, and may you continue to worship, connect, grow, and multiply as you follow Jesus Christ.